Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. Today's guest is Jessica Landry. She's a screenwriter, director, and filmmaker who wrote and directed the Cinematoba film Testament, which debuted at the Cinematoba Film Festival back in September. Jessica and I talk about her powerful film called Testament, her creative process, generosity, generational trauma, religion, guilt, mentorship, and so much more. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Jessica Landry. Thank you for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined via Zoom by Jessica Landry. She is the writer slash director of Testament, one of the five short films that debuted through Cinematoba. Jessica, thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you again. The last time we yeah. spoke, I was on set of Testament, your short film that it, that debuted at Cinematoba. Um we talked to, I actually rewatched the interview uh, that I, that we had the little 10 minute section and we talked about some pretty heavy things in that little 10 minutes, you know, like generational trauma and generosity and religion and family and all this stuff. Uh, so we might get a little bit into that again, but before we get into Testament and that whole process, maybe just tell me about yourself. What is your story? Where are you from? What are you doing? <laughs> and, <laughs> and how are things right now? Who is Jessica what am Landry? I doing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> How are things? Hmm, loaded questions. Uh, no, <laughs> no I, uh, I'm, I'm Jessica Landry. I'm from Winnipeg, born and raised, been here my whole life. All of my family is here except for one cousin that decided to be the outlier and moved to Vegas of all places. Las How Vegas, dare she? amazing. Right? <laughs> and yeah, I, um, I, I work professionally as a screenwriter. So I've written a lot of Lifetime movies that you, people may or may not have seen. Probably not, but that's okay. <laughs> and yeah, I'm just, you know, just living the dream basically right now. I, I come from a graphic design background. I did that for about 15 years and then somehow stumbled upon the opportunity to work on a, a show on CBC and kind of left the world of graphic design and have been in full-time filmmaking uh ever since then that's been a few years now Very I'm loving cool. it so yeah. is this is this your first uh foray into directing or have you directed before or, or is testament your first time it i've done a few before not a ton um i was part of nsi's uh another nsi program uh oh gosh the series incubator lab mm. yeah that's what it was called Cool. And I did that in 2021 to 2022 for a few months um, alongside one of my producing partners, Hannah Johnson. And, and through that, we were able to develop a series called Ghosts of Lakeland. And kind of the culmination of that program was you get to film like a five minute proof of concept mm. or short film. So we ended up doing a proof of concept for that. And prior to that, I had done one of my, my first one ever, which is a horror film called The Sisterhood of Skin, which remains in post-production to this day. Mm. But it's, uh, it's the, first, the first film. So, you know, you, you allow yourself uh, area to kind of learn and make mistakes and figure stuff out. And that's really what filmmaking is, right? It's all about getting that hands-on experience to figure out what to do and how to do it properly. And, mm. you know, it's 
it's a, always a learning adventure, that's for sure. I was talking to one of the other filmmakers last week about, um, yeah, kind of that process. And, and you know, I do a little bit of film editing and video editing and stuff, too. And I, I said, like, if if not for deadlines, I would just constantly keep slightly making things a little bit better and cutting things down and changing and improving things. So like, how do you know when the scene is done or how do you know when a moment is captured or like, what, what's your process for like knowing when you got it? On set. I, I feel like for me, it's hard to know sometimes like you just kind of do a bunch of takes and you get a bunch of different levels and you pray to whoever you pray to that you caught it and that it'll, it'll turn out in the end. And then once you get into the editing, then you can see how that scene works together with everything else that you filmed. If you know, if you're matching emotions from one moment to the next, you know, you got to make sure that you're hitting all those notes. So I feel like it's one of those things that with more experience that people probably know better on set, like when they've caught the moment and they mm. can move on. But when you're starting out, it's kind of like, okay, do it again. I do it again. Just keep doing it until we can make sure that we got it. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely like definitely a process of learning. The worst feeling in the world is when you're sitting in the editing room and you either didn't get a shot or forgot, you know, it's better to have too much than not enough, right? Yes, exactly. That happened to us on, or I should say me, on Ghosts of Lakeland, uh, mm. the proof of concept. We, I <laughs> missed one major shot. And then when we were in the editing room, I was like, oh, how are we going <laughs> to, how are we going to cheat this one? Luckily, we I had a very good editor named Ginger Dilk and a very good uh, visual effects person named Connor Templeman. They mm. were able to work their magic and we were able to create that shot that we needed. But it does not always work out that way. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, yeah. a couple of questions ago, you said you pray to whoever you want to pray to. Maybe that can segue into Testament. Um, your short hey. film for Cinematoba. Maybe give me the brief sort of 30 second synopsis of what this film is about, because it's a deeply personal story, but uh, maybe I'll let you explain it. Yeah, in a nutshell, it is about a granddaughter who finds herself at her deceased grandmother's house. Um, she's cleaning it up, you know, getting ready for it to sell, uh, doing what she can. But uh, her and her grandmother uh, have not had much of a relationship because the the mother has kind of the mother and the grandmother uh, had a falling out. And so as the granddaughter goes through the grandmother's house and her stuff, she finds a letter addressed to the mother. And from that letter, we kind of flash back into why the mother and the grandmother had their falling out mm. and what was kind of the driving force of it. And then spoiler, we end <laughs> on a nice, a nice, generous note, of course. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because the theme of Cinematoba this year is generosity. So, I mean, that the, there's some generational, gen, maybe the, the prefix of generosity and generations. Uh. There might be something there. I don't know the history of the words, but um, how, do, how, how does generosity tie into to the to your story? Yeah. You know, for me, it, it's a story about grief and guilt and you know complex relationships which is what most of us have with some family members and I think that there is a generosity in forgiveness mm. there's a generosity in overcoming and there's a generosity just in in wanting to to make everything right and so the granddaughter is kind of the catalyst that wants to 
mend her mother and grandmother's relationship, even though her grandmother has already passed on. Mm. She wants to do what's right for her mother, kind of like relieve her of the guilt and the grief that she is feeling. Powerful. Uh, so how autobiographical is this story? <laughs> uh, you know, there's a little bit of this, a little bit of that in there. Um, for me growing up, I, I grew up in a very religious household. Uh, I myself now am an atheist. So I, you know, I grew up Catholic and then kind of renounced that. Um, but all that to say, you know, to each their own, I don't, I don't judge anyone. It is what it is. We all have our different relationships with religion and all that. Mm-hmm. And like my family now, my husband's family is, is his mother is religious. And so we don't, you know, we don't need to cross those lines. We respect everybody and, and it's fine. It's cool. But for me, this film is very much my perspective on, on just things that I observed growing up mm. and my own relationship with my mother, my own relationship with my grandmother even. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not 100% autobiographical, but there's definitely little nuggets in there for sure. There's elements of it. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It, I, I've been thinking about this a lot because we're, our generation is the first to kind of even have a definition of what intergenerational trauma is. And, and a lot of these sort of mental health awareness, um, all of this stuff, they didn't really have words for that back then. It was just kind of like, you just go to the fields and, you know, chop, chop wood for 12 hours a day. And then you come back and you pray and yep. you go to sleep, you know, like there wasn't <laughs> a lot of introspection. So like, do you feel like a, cause I know you have a daughter as well. Do you feel like a sense of um, duty to sort of close the loop on some of these things and, and sort of like investigate them yourself just to, to, to break those cycles of trauma and stuff? Or, or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. For my daughter, she's, she's seven now. So she's uh, at the, the very curious age where, uh, especially now it's like going to school and stuff, you know, other kids there obviously have their own religions and they, they've mm. started to talk about it without truly comprehending what it is. And so <laughs> even when <laughs> I, I tend to say uh, Jesus Christ a lot, like as a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you know, this is what I do. Uh, it, it's a good emphasis for, you know, <laughs> what I need to say. And so one time she caught me and she was like, what does that mean? Mm. <laughs> Who is that? And I was like, okay, I'm going to have this conversation. <laughs> have a seat. Take a seat. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. For her, I want her to be able to explore different religions if she so chooses. My husband is Catholic, but he's not, you know, super into it. And obviously, like I said, I'm not. Um, and so I like for her to have those options you know, like it, it, to me that, that makes it, that will make her a much more well-rounded human being. Yeah. Uh, just knowing that, you know, not everybody necessarily believes in this one thing. There are other things that people believe in. And for me, you know, obviously I don't believe that there's like one true thing. So it's, right. it, it's very, it's more worldly, I think. And it's more eye-opening to, you know, different cultures and how different people believe things. Beautiful. And then, yeah, for the whole, for the whole intergenerational trauma thing. Uh, <laughs> just that quick, you know, you, you know. we have 30, 30 <laughs> seconds for you to just wrap that up nicely, you know, nice, <laughs> yeah. nice little bow. Yeah. There, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. Cause that's something that uh, has certainly been passed down in my family. And I, I try my best to not let it seep through to her. Mm. Um, I'm not perfect though, and would never claim to be. So, you know, some days are better than others, but you know, it's one of those things where you have to be very cognizant of what has happened and how 
what you say and what you do could affect this young person, right? Mm -hmm. Who's very just ready to be molded and shaped. And yeah, it, it definitely weighs heavily on my mind most days. And yeah, I try to, I try to steer her and myself down the right path where I can. Beautiful. I think it's just being cog- co- conscious of it, like just being aware yeah. that there is this thing and mm-hmm. and addressing it and not ignoring it and not just pushing it down and hiding it until it explodes one day. Like Exactly. You know, um, <laughs> well, so your daughter was actually in Testament as well. What yeah. was any funny stories or like she is adorable, first of all, any funny stories <laughs> from on set or like, you know, because it was a family affair. There's your niece or something, too, that played her as a baby or played someone as a baby. Maybe just what was the family affair like on, on set for, for the for your crew? Yeah, yeah. The the little baby that's in the film is my niece, Maisie. Um, and she's, of course, adorable because she's a baby. And she's so <laughs> cute. <laughs> and then my daughter, Blake, is the the next step up. <laughs> the six year, she was six at the time, so the six-year-old of it. And um, yeah, the house that we use is my friend's house. So it's like, we had everybody. <laughs> I looped in everybody that I could. I asked for a lot of favors, basically. Um, but it all came to fruition really nicely. Um, and then, That's yeah, my Manito- dad was on Manito- set too. Sorry, what was yeah. that? I'd say my dad was on set too. He was my oh, daughter's nice. minder for the day. Mm. <laughs> Her assistant, I guess you could yes. say. A very Manitoba <laughs> production, you know? Yes. Everybody knows everybody. And the the crew that I had, I mean, they're all amazing. I worked with them before on Ghost of Lakeland and then other projects as well. And so everybody just was super comfortable and great and wonderful. We had a great time. I think it's a, it's a bit of a um, unknown gem, the talent, the, the, the film talent in our province, you know, Manitoba is not known for, for that. Maybe can you speak to your experience being on set and being a creative in Manitoba and what it's like working with probably similar people on different shows and different sets and stuff and seeing familiar faces. What's it like being a, being a filmmaker in Manitoba? Yeah, I, I feel like it's a very small knit big community in a way um everybody kind of knows everybody which is also nice uh and I feel that when you're when you're making your own film and you're you know crewing up and and casting and you want to find people that you know best represent what you want to do once you find those people you have to hang on to them and never let them go so (laughs) basically the the crew that I had yeah like I said we've we've done a bunch of stuff together and we'll hopefully continue to do so because everybody gets everybody and everybody's just as passionate as everybody else. And like that can be really hard to find. So when you find those people, you just got to cling on to them. And then for cast as well, I mean, any, any big movie that comes in film here, you'll see all like the familiar faces. Like we have Marina Stephenson Kerr in this, and she was in, you know, violent night and mm. like she got puked on by David Harbour as Santa, which is great. <laughs> And Crystal Snow, who's who was also in Violent Night, and she's done a bunch of stunt work and everything, and she's just fabulous. Like the whole crew, the whole cast. I mean, everyone brought their A game, and I was just very lucky to have them all kind of congregate for for twelve hours on one day to make this happen. Yeah, a lot of talent, a lot of talent in the room. Um, oh yeah. So you're one of the more um, uh, experienced creatives that that got brought into man or cinematoba there was a couple first-time filmmakers um but each all five filmmakers are are are, uh, partnered up with a mentor so i was wondering what your who your mentor was what they brought to your you know because you kind of you know a lot already but what what gaps did your mentor fill if any uh throughout this process 
yeah, I had Shireen Jarrett as my mentor and she was amazing. Um, I, I worked with her mainly on the script, mm. uh, not, not so much in production, uh, but her insights on the script, like her and I had a bunch of different sessions and we just like really dove in and like went to town and got really deep and really personal on a couple of things. And, you know, she, she gave a lot of blue sky ideas, which is just kind of like reaching for whatever and like, you know, kind of trying to, to capture what the whole story was on a level that I hadn't even thought about. Cause mm -hmm. in a way, like when I was writing it for the first time, it was very reserved because it is a very personal story, mm -hmm. but then just working with Shireen for the few sessions that we did, it was like, she was able to pinpoint, you know, where some more emotional beats could come out of, you know, how to really capitalize on that. And she really helped whip it into shape. So I'm very grateful to her. Next level, just kind of leveled it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah exactly. What were some of the challenges of writing and filming um, a multi-generational, like some, it can get a little muddy, messy when there's, okay, now we're skipping forward seven years or we're skipping forward 10 years or we're, you know, we're going back 30 years or whatever. So maybe just talk about like how the planning has to be very specific. And then also, was there any hiccups that you found either editing or shooting or along the way, just because, you know, time skips in movies can be jarring and confusing sometimes. So what was your approach to making sure it was cohesive and told a, told the story properly? Yeah, I think that for the story is mostly told through voiceover um, as a, the granddaughter kind of reading her grandmother's letter. Mm -hmm. And so th throughout the letter, I kind of made sure that we knew where we were in space and time. So that way it tracks exposition. Yeah. Like the, exactly. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> and um, you know, it helped having, the mother during the flashbacks, uh, which is played by Crystal Snow, you know, she stayed consistent throughout the flashbacks. We didn't change her, the actor, ah, in any way. Mm. And so the only actor that really changed was the uh, the mother when she was younger. <laughs> it gets confusing when you're like mother, grandmother, daughter, but it's like the mother. Her name her name was um, Molly. So Molly's age is the one that changed throughout. So Molly, we see her first as a baby, mm. and then as a six year old, and then as a teenager. And then at the very end, uh, as a 60 year old woman. So, you know, it, it helped in that sense too. And also once we got into editing, um, Quan Luang, who was my DP and he also did the coloring, you know, he added a bit more of like a, like a, what's the word, like a hazy effect to the mm. flashback. So it yep. looked like a bit more old timey, yep. <laughs> not really old timey, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like, for sure. Like that old film that kind of that film grain exactly. or whatever it is. Yeah. Cool. Grain is the word I was thinking yeah. of. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Um, have you, this might be, I might cut this out, but have you seen the movie The Five Bloods? No, I haven't. It is a, let me just Google it real quick. Is that, that's a Spike Lee Spike movie? Lee, exactly. Yeah. And it, what you were saying reminded me of it because there's there's four um, Vietnam veterans that go back to Vietnam and they're they're like 60 or however old, 70, 80 years old. And then when they do flashbacks, they kept the same 80-year-old actors back in, like they do a oh. flashback. So I was like, okay, this I've never seen them do this before. And it was really, because then it keeps, you know, who's who, right? Like you don't go back, right. and say, which one, who was this again? And I and I right. think just that idea of of keeping a same actor throughout even through multiple timelines is a smart way of letting you know who's who, right? Letting you know who the main yeah. character is. And yeah, I thought that was really cool. Uh, anyways, that's just an aside. When people see this film, what are you hoping that they take away from it? 
like when someone watches it and 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 leaves the the leave Cinematoba, what are you hoping that they that they take away? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> um, I think you know what I think different people will have different interpretations. Uh, the intent is certainly not to upset anyone. Uh, again, because it is a personal thing, so it's it's very much my own POV. But you know, I I, I hope no one's offended. <laughs> It is. I know religion can be a really tough, mm. tough topic for a lot of folks, but you know, I think that the the film is not hypercritical of it. It's merely kind of uh, an, a plot element that you know shows in part how a relationship fell apart. Um, and so, you know, if it if people watch it and think back to their own relationships, maybe and and maybe in some way, you know, something similar happened to them. Um, I would hope that they would feel okay about everything. I'd hope that, you know, that there isn't this, this element of blame or guilt that people would feel, but rather more acceptance. Like mm -hmm. it, it's okay to, to not be with your blood family. It's okay to distance yourself from them. Um, and it's okay to have wavering feelings about it. Mm -hmm. It's okay to not be okay, which is the big, the big phrase that goes around lately, but it's true. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine to, you know, be estranged from even your mother, say your, your sister, your father, anybody, it's, it's, it's fine. As long as you are happy with where you are in your life, you're happy with everything that's kind of come your way, then who cares? Yeah. You know? That's kind of a new concept of like cutting out toxic things from your mm -hmm. life, even like before, previous generations i think it was like family trumps anything so but yeah. even at the degradation of your own mental and or physical well-being right and not, and this concept yeah. that you're talking about of like it's okay to cut out toxicity from your life yeah. if it's going to improve yourself you know yeah yeah 1000 percent. don't be like it's it's an impossible decision to make it's it's you may regret it for every day of your life or you may not you know and it's will probably always weigh heavily in your mind, no matter what you're doing. But if it's the right thing to do for you, then you should absolutely do it. The best art tackles concepts and ideas and difficult conversations like this. Are are all of your projects, do you like working on things that are really uh, thought provoking and like emotional and things like that? Or is this just a, one of many different types of stories that you like to tell? Yeah, you know, I, I like to kind of jump around and do a whole bunch of, <laughs> do a bunch of things. Uh, variety is the spice of life, right? Um, so like as an example, right now, I'm I'm writing on a true crime series, uh, but I'm also writing a slasher. <laughs> but but I'm also, you know, uh, developing a reality game show competition. So it's like, Ooh. it's all these different things, right? And you, I feel like you kind of need that variety to not go crazy in just one genre. Otherwise, it'd be like, oh, my God. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it helps. <laughs> Very true. If someone was listening to this right now, and I'm hoping I'm cro fingers crossed we can do another Cinematoba, what would you what would you say to aspiring filmmakers or um, experienced filmmakers who are looking to uh, perhaps apply for Cinematoba? What would you say to someone about just this whole process? And and what would you say to that person? Yeah, I think that when you are coming up with a concept, depending what the the theme of the year is don't try to 
pigeonhole yourself into that one theme, mm. right? Don't try to do something specifically just for that. What you should do is you should write whatever comes to your heart and your brain as they sometimes work together, but sometimes not. <laughs> um, and just make something that means something to you. And if it fits with that theme, then great, apply, do it, you have to. Uh, and if not, I mean, come up with another idea, right? Like <clears throat> if you're if you're a creative person, you're, you're gonna have a lot of ideas sort of always swelling in your brain at all times. So try to pinpoint that one that could work for this program. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, just just do it. Just apply for it. Don't let fear hold you back. Just just do it. We believe in you. <laughs> Beautifully said. Yeah, it's those personal it's personal stories that tend to resonate most. Not trying to write for someone else, right? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, so at the end of our time together, we do a little segment on the cause and effect called Just Because, where we talk about the causes you care about and the effect that it's had on your life. You okay to go through those seven questions with us? Sure. All right. Question one, what is the very first cause you ever remember caring about in your life? Oh, animals. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you still a bit? Do you have pets and things or are you? A... We have two cats. Um, they are delightful. One is uh, old. He's turning 14 in a couple of weeks. He's, he's hanging on. <laughs> still going. And then still going. And then we have a, a one-year-old as well that we just got in October because our our other kitty that we'd had before passed away in October. So it was like, Oh, we need, we need someone else in here. We're too sad. <laughs> right. I hear you. So is that your current is animals and animal welfare? You're still your cause that you're passionate about. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I actually, I used to work at a humane society very briefly, but nice. <laughs> I worked there and then I volunteered at a few cat shelters when I was younger as well. So I've always loved animals, um, especially cats. So Yes, they, they're very near and dear to my heart. Lovely. So question two is if money and politics and logistics were no issue at all, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen in support of your cause. What would you do? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I guess it would, it would be to make all the more independent uh, animal shelters, not have any bills. You know, mm. they, I always like, I follow a whole bunch on social media and I always see that, you know, they're, they're doing whatever they can to like bring animals in and get them the vet care that they need, but they often don't have enough money to pay the vet bills. So, yeah. I mean, it would be great if that just disappeared yeah, <laughs> and for no people kidding. too, <laughs> I right. shouldn't say it's all about animals, but yes, people are also important. <laughs> I think about that too. Like we have so many systems of, of just necessities tied to financial things like yeah, there's, I feel like certain things shouldn't be, anyways, we can get into the perils of <laughs> capitalism another time, but uh, <laughs> thank you. Great answer. Uh, question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or the biggest stigma about, about that cause? Oh, that's a good question. I would assume that probably that all the donations don't necessarily go towards animal welfare and more mm. towards like the pockets of the the ones in charge, which maybe for bigger organizations. Yeah. I don't think necessarily here we have that. I could be completely yeah. jaded to this, but well, like, no, there, yeah, uh, there's, there's websites now that 
that look into the how much of your donation mm. goes towards the actual cause that you're saying it goes towards versus how much of it goes to admin. And but to be fair, there is a lot of admin costs. Like you have to pay people salaries and stuff too. So like, yeah, it's a complicated yeah. thing. But that that that's a gigantic one. Like certain certain organizations are way less efficient with a dollar than others. So yeah, that's a very valid. Yeah. <laughs> totally and like coming from like I said like, like when I volunteered at, at cat shelters and stuff you can see that like I was a volunteer and mostly everyone else was a volunteer there was maybe one or two people who were paid staff and you can see that yeah the money was all going to the cats and they still needed help like we still needed newspapers and litter and cat food like stuff adds up it's very mm. expensive yeah like rides to vet appointments and yeah. the vet appointments themselves yeah it's a great uh, my partner stephanie she uh follows a lot of, we're dog she we want to get a dog and we've fostered a couple oh. and like so she follows like 15 different ones on facebook and they're all like we need rides to this and we need people to babysit here and it's just like yeah I, what a gig that is. Like it's, it never ends. It's wild to <laughs> yeah. see. Uh, question four, what is a uh, recent victory in your life, either personally or professionally that you can share with us that you're proud of? That I'm proud of. Ooh. Uh, ooh. <laughs> professionally, just that I've been busy, which is a victory within itself, because when you are a self-employed screenwriter living in Winnipeg, uh, sometimes that is not the case. Mm. So <laughs> The beginning of the year was a little slow and I was kind of, I was kind of like, mm, uh-oh. but now over the past few months, it's picked up and now it's like, ah, <laughs> now I need a break, but no, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good busy to be. Um, I'm very grateful for all the opportunities that I've been getting, which have just kind of been like steadily increasing in like, you know, awareness and value, which mm -hmm. is always nice. And uh, yeah, I feel, I feel very lucky that I get to do what I love. Beautiful. on a daily basis yeah very good uh maybe <laughs> I, i'll cut this out if you want me to but i'm curious your perspective on the whole strike situation going down so like you're literally a writer this is the, the these are the people that are like what are your thoughts on this whole kerfuffle down south currently yeah you can keep this in i okay. think that should be okay <laughs> but uh yeah i mean the we're, we're two different guilds um right down there is the the writers guild of america up here is the Writers Guild of Canada, yeah, WGA, WGC. Um, so two different things, but all fighting for the same thing. Um, we have been lucky that we're not on strike up here, so that allows us to continue to work. Uh, but yeah, definitely stand in solidarity with the writers in the state because they, I mean, with the precedent that they said is going to trickle trickle down for up sure. here eventually. Um, so very very aware of the fight that they're doing and the sacrifices they're making just so you know so they can have a living wage which is, it's crazy to think I, I read an article or I saw a post or something that like a writer who worked on the Umbrella Academy or like show ran the Umbrella Gigantic Academy show. was yeah had to work for Lyft or Uber or something right just to pay her bills like in what world in what world is that a thing unacceptable yeah agreed yeah. um yeah. have you messed around with any um chat gpt things or any like writing tools or like help because i've done i'm full disclosure like i i write some articles for the foundation magazine and i've used a couple little like prompts here to just fill things out or get it some ideas and stuff but like when it comes to writing shows or writing a script or whatever you know like that, that's kind of the crux i feel like that's the crux of the argument is being able to have a synthetic 
robot essentially do something creative. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on those tools and how they're going to sh- reshape the landscape of creativity itself. Yeah. So I'm coming in this both from writing and graphic design, having done that before, mm. which, you know, AI and whatever can, can start, like there's a thing on Photoshop now where it's like generative fill and it starts filling out stuff. Um, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Moving on. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it's a very dangerous tool to have for creatives. I, I, that is to say though, I don't think that it'll ever take the job of a writer, maybe it may be a graphic designer though, mm. but um, for writing, like a computer will never have spirit. It will never have personality. Uh, it, it, it'll never have humanity. Sorry for the future if there's like a whole Terminator situation going on, but it's like, yeah, like, no, Skynet will never have a personality. So it cannot, <laughs> it cannot take the job of a writer, but this again trickles down to the strike. That's one thing that the writers are trying to prevent it from getting too deep in because it certainly has, you know, at least the capability to put words on a page, uh, which, you know, it should not be doing and nobody yeah. should be using it for writing. It should be entirely your own thing. Not to say that your prompt was, <laughs> was evil, but you know, I know I'm sometimes with you, you got to do what you got to do, but so to, write, to, to write a whole thing. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating era to be in as a creative. Cause yeah, some of the well, photography design mm-hmm. graphic, all of those things. It's really, really uh, interesting to, to say, to yeah. keep it as neutral as possible. It's interesting, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for curious to see where it goes (laughs) exactly yeah well thank you for that little tangent there because i always i love talking about this stuff because it's i don't think people really understand what it is capable of and and you know what the future is going to uh entail Mm -hmm. uh so question five what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given in your life (laughs) just in my life just you know any any. (laughs) first thing that pops into your mind oh my gosh so deep. <laughs> that's, that's the hope. <laughs> this is something I have to think about because I don't know. I, uh, oh boy. Oh boy. I don't know if I can pinpoint it to one person giving me this mm-hmm. advice, but just in general is just to be happy, which I mean, is easier said than done <laughs> a lot of times, but you can find happiness in your career, in your family life, you know, at home uh, with your friends by yourself. If you can find that sort of happiness and that almost that acceptance of yourself, like be it with other people or by yourself, then I think that, um, I think that you've won. You've won at the game of life, basically. <laughs> Beautifully said. Well, yeah, just allowing joy. You know, a lot of yeah. people find guilt when they're they they. You know, I don't, I'm I'm obviously projecting, but like if I'm happy, it's like what am I? There's something. I I must be missing something, or I'm you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Allow yourself to be happy. Allow yourself to you know eat that ice cream or buy those shoes or do whatever. <laughs> Lovely. I love it. Um. Question six, staying on the advice train. So you might need a second to think about it, but that's okay. Uh, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could speak with her right now? Oh my God. I feel like I'm on drag race at the end, you know, when RuPaul's like, what would you say to seven-year-old Jessica? 
Good question. And then everyone, everyone gets really emotional. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ooh. I might get emotional. We'll see. Okay. That's okay. Too. <laughs> ooh, it would probably be advice to give my 10 year old self. I would say keep an open mind for everything. Don't feel like you have to conform mm. based on what people think you should be or how you should act. And don't feel that your blood family is are people that you need to keep around mm. forever. And just follow your heart. <laughs> Realize your passions. Follow those. Start writing earlier, maybe. Because mm. practice <laughs> makes perfect. It's all exactly. about reps, right? Like just practicing, yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. And just, yeah, just try to find your happiness even in the darker times. Mm. I mean, the darker times, right? We all experience it to some degree. Um, and just realize that it's a part of life and that, you know, you're going to get through it and everything's going to be okay. This too shall pass. Exactly. Very well said. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for you know going off on these tangents with me and and, <laughs> and tolerating my goofy questions. I very much appreciate it. Uh, the last question is maybe the hardest one. Uh, question seven: What do you want to be remembered for? Oh no! <laughs> if anything, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters to me is that my daughter remembers me well I don't care about anybody else <laughs> maybe my cats I hope my cats remember me well <laughs> remember but, that they're well fed at least exactly oh god they're gonna be clawing at my door it's almost lunchtime but uh yeah if her and I put an end to the trauma that I experienced if it ends with me and I can give her a life that I don't want to say that I didn't have because I did have a good life growing up. Um, and my dad is amazing and wonderful. And my mom was also great too, but she had her own issues. Um, but if I can raise a normal, I'm doing air quotes, a normal child, mm -hmm. you know, a regular child who is loving and caring and accepting of everyone around her and isn't, <laughs> if she isn't problematic, <laughs> then I'd say I've done a good job and I hope that she would remember me in, in a good way. And that, yeah, I hope that my daughter remembers me in a way that she then reflects on her own children. If she chooses to have them. Boom. Bada boom. <laughs> That's put it, on, put it on a poster. Uh, <laughs> Jessica Landry, writer and director extraordinaire of Testament, one of the films uh, that debuted at Cinematoba Film Fest. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your creativity. Thank you for uh, everything that you've done for Manitoba and our film community. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you. It was a blast. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, if you're still here, congratulations. You're in the 99th percentile of listeners. I appreciate your time. Thanks for not, uh, you know, skipping the, uh, skipping the outro. I appreciate uh, you sticking around with us. Thank you for subscribing as well. And thank you uh, again to Jessica Landry. 
incredible filmmaker, incredible human being. Thank you for your time, for your creativity. Thank you for making Testament. I will never forget it. The first time I watched Testament, I had a bit of a tear roll down my cheek. It's a really powerful film. You can view it now uh, by going to wpgfdn.org. The first three Cinematoba films are up now. You can watch the next two in the coming weeks. We will have uh, more conversations with the filmmakers from Cinematoba in the next two weeks. So stay tuned for that. All music on this show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music by searching Trenton Burton on Spotify. The Cause and Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. To hear more about the foundation, you can visit wpgfdn.org or search at WPGFDN on all major social media platforms. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on social. Thanks again for listening. And remember, if we carry intergenerational trauma, we also carry intergenerational wisdom. It's in our genes and it's in our DNA. Bye-bye.